Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Futures for Finance. This week's guest speaker is Dr. Jason Hsu. Jason is the founder and chairman of Rayline Global Advisors, a leading provider of smart beta strategies in Asia. Prior to Rayline, Jason co-founded Research Affiliates, which is another global leader in smart beta and asset allocation. Jason graduated with a BS in physics from the California Institute of Technology, receiving his master's in finance at Stanford University and his PhD in finance from UCLA. During his time at UCLA, he also conducted research on equity premium, business cycles, and portfolio allocations. Currently, Jason is a member of the board of directors at the Anderson School of Management at UCLA, as well as an adjunct professor in finance. This is Casey, and I'm back again to co-host another episode of Futures for Finance. Hey, everyone. I'm Dylan. I'm a second-year math major student from UCLA. This is my first time co-hosting Futures for Finance episode. I'm super glad to meet everyone. And today, we are very excited to have Jason on our podcast. Welcome, Jason. Hi. Glad to be here. Hi, Casey. Hi, Dylan. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. So we'll jump straight in. So can you first give us a short description of what an ETF is and what are a few different types of ETFs that are publicly traded? And then more specifically, what are a few goals for an investor of the Raliant Quantumental China Equity ETF? How should new investors and traders start looking into these securities? Well, when you think about ETFs, uh, ETFs are like mutual funds. They're almost identical to mutual funds, except you can trade them intraday meaning you could trade them during market hours, which you cannot with a traditional mutual fund. Uh, so outside of that, they're, they're uh, almost exactly the same thing. So they're diversified. Uh, they usually give you exposure to a particular market like the US large cap market, emerging markets. Uh, when you think about different types of ETFs, in addition to you know, different geographies, different market exposures they might represent, from a functional perspective, they uh, fall in passive, Basically, they track a passive index like the S&P 500 or active where they don't track an index. Instead, they're being managed actively by a manager who tries to outperform a index. So you got active ETFs versus passive ETFs. And then, you know, for an ETF, they could represent a variety of different exposures from equities uh, for different markets to fixed income for different markets. Uh, now, in terms of the ETF that I run you know, the Raylian Quantumental, you know, China, it is an active ETF. And uh, when someone looks at a active China ETF, they have to think about two questions. One is, uh, do they want to access China as a beta source? When I say beta source, it means, do they believe in holding, you know, Chinese, a diversified basket of Chinese shares for the long run? So that that's sort of the beta exposure question. And then the alpha question is, do they believe that Raylian as the active manager has sufficient skill that we could add a little bit extra. So we can add alpha on top of the beta exposure. Okay. So our next question will be coming from the highly illustrious career as CIO at Raylian Global Advisors. Can you provide our listeners and prospective investors a few tips for getting started in finance? And on top of that, what do you recommend undergraduates to study and what is the importance of creating connections? Absolutely. Well, let me answer that question in reverse order. Taught undergrads, I've taught MBA students as a professor, and I know a lot of students 
don't quite understand the value of networking. Some of them, uh, perhaps often the, the better students tend to think, hey, you know, they can let their own merit stand on their uh, own feet and they don't really need a network to get ahead or, or get a job. That, that's a very, I think, naive and a flawed understanding of networking. Now, networking really is about making sure the right people uh, know about you, right? It's not inflating your qualification, right? It's not misrepresenting your quality. It's about representing fairly who you are, what you can do, both your personality and your capabilities. Uh, so when you network, you're just helping the right people get to know you so that when they have the need, when there's an opportunity that's right for you, uh, they'll give you a call, bring you in for an interview. Uh, so networking is absolutely important. That's, that's how uh, in not just the finance industry, it's how in any industry, uh, people get to know you and, and uh, mind eventually you know, offer a job to you or offer a position in an exciting startup to you. Uh, so definitely network and network with uh, you know, lots of people, network, especially when you don't need it, right? If you need a job and that's when you start the network, that doesn't really work, right? Usually people need to know you for a while before they trust uh, the information they have about you before they really know you and before they really want to share an opportunity with you. So network frequently, network often, don't network too intentionally, right? Network with the intention of, I want people to know me because I'm awesome, because I'm interesting, because I'm skilled, but because I can be useful at some point in the future to them. So network with that in your mind. And then when the time comes, when you actually do need a job, you know, people would already like you, already want to work with you, and it makes that easier. Advice to, to students about the, how to get into this industry. A lot of people do want to get into the finance industry because it is a, a industry that pays well, right? It's a, it's a glamorous industry, right? People in this industry generally, not always, but generally tend to be uh, quite well paid. So it attracts a lot of people. So it's important to understand that it is very competitive to get started and it's very competitive uh, to move up as well, right? So a lot of the success story you, you see you know, or you hear are, are often a, you know, positive outlier, meaning they're the people who've done especially well. So first of all, temper your expectation, right? It's not, first of all, easy. And second of all, it's not as glamorous and as high paying as you'd imagine. Right? You're, you're just seeing some of the very best paid people. Now, with that understanding in mind, uh, to get started, it really helps, of course, uh, to have an undergraduate degree either in economics or business, uh, or to have a harder science degree, you know, math, uh, engineering, computer science, and then get a master's in say financial engineering or later on get an MBA. So uh, that you would both have the quantitative analytical skill as well as the business skill. So that, you know, because the industry is competitive, a credential helps, uh, educational credential coming from a great school like, like Casey, you know, at Berkeley and Dillon, you at UCLA definitely helps. Right? People will notice, they'll take that into account. Taking hard classes, people notice that. Now, internship, that helps a lot. Uh, internship is a great way for future employers to know uh, whether they have to spend a lot of time and train you or whether you already semi-trained, so it's easier for you to hit the ground running. 
Uh, and also there's a reference, right? They, you know, calling your professor to see if you're going to be a good employee isn't really helpful, right? Because your professor only know if you can take exams well. Uh, so oftentimes they prefer to be able to call uh, your manager at an internship to get a sense of not just your capabilities, but oftentimes your fit, right? We're not kidding when we say we're looking for team players. We're not kidding when we say we want someone who's easy to work with. Uh, so, you know, make sure when you're doing your internship that you're helpful, uh, you got a great attitude, that you're a great team player, because, you know, when you're actually talking about getting a real job, grades matter very little. It's often whether you can be a good teammate on a great team. For sure. That's like great advice. I know networking, getting your studies on, and then also like that internship is super important. So yeah, I personally know myself like how important all those aspects are into like getting into the industry. But switching gears a little bit and looking more towards your personal experiences, um, we would like to ask what would you say was the most defining moment in your career? And how do, has that moment impacted you as a person and also as a professional? Well, I would say I have to point to one uh, or a culmination of many. It would be when I realized that you get stuck in this industry if all you do is uh, you're really smart and you try to do better work than the next person and you're trying to be the smartest person in a room. There's a limit to how much you can get, how far you can go with that attitude and that approach. Uh, at some point, if you aren't able to learn from others, so constantly through working with others, uh, through being in a room where other people are so much smarter than you and become better, and if you don't have the skill, particularly communication skill, uh, ability to create a culture and environment such that people around you are better when you're around, if you lack those two skills, uh, you're not going to really get to the very top, right? Because this industry is filled with very, very smart people. And, uh, and so that was kind of the defining moment for me, realizing that my old attitude of, uh, you know, a, a overachiever where I'm often, you know, the person with the highest grade and often, you know, the person who, who, who at least want to believe he's the smartest person, smartest person in the room. Um, you know, once you're in this industry, that's, that's not enough. And that's not going to cut it. Uh, it's really not about being exceptional right now. It's about having an exceptional learning attitude. So you could be better. Uh, it's about creating that culture. So everyone around you wants to be better. And so uh, with that, it becomes a culture of collaboration, mutual learning, it's a culture where you move away from wanting to be more right than the other person, wanting to be smarter than the other person. And, and you move from that kind of zero-sum conversation into one where it's about, hey, I don't know enough. I'd like to hear about your idea so, so I could have a better uh, perspective. And the other side, drafting off of that also opens up their vulnerability and say, well, I'd like to learn from you as well. Can we together, so debating who's smarter and has a better idea, can we together craft uh, a better idea than neither one of us currently have? So that was the, the, the probably the most important thing that I figured out uh, in my career. And I think since that point, I've been so much more effective as a manager, as a teammate, uh, ultimately as a leader of a firm. Uh, and uh, I would say, you know, I, I wish that uh, everyone 
figure that out a lot sooner than I did. Yeah, I know. Like as a student, we're always taught to like, oh, know this formula or like knows these facts and just memorize everything for the test. And some of those soft skills like aren't really taught to us. It's like learned during experiences and things that we do. So all that advice is like super valuable, I'm sure, to like myself, to Dylan, to um, all our audiences. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so a question about your education. So you have a bachelor's degree in physics and a master's degree in finance, which is quite different. Um, so how did you find your interest in finance and what made you decide to pursue this field? Yeah, so I started uh, studying physics uh, because I thought physics was uh, going to be like Star Trek. Uh, so that's my background. This is Captain Picard's bridge. Uh, I, I realized very soon that uh, physics is nothing like Star Trek. Uh, in, fact, in fact, I spent most of my time uh, baking semiconductors in a, in a lab. Uh, but it gave me phenomenal uh, preparation to do what's next, right? Um, you know, the analytical framework, ability to program a computer, uh, to learn multiple programming languages rapidly, uh, to do complicated derivations, to perhaps think uh, more logically, more structurally, have all been really, really helpful. Um, I uh, developed a, a love for really not just finance, finance is quite narrow, but really a love for uh, understanding the economy, understanding how, in a way, our financial ecosystem works, right? Like, why do we need currencies? Why do we need the stock market? Uh, so I, I became fascinated with really that aspect of the human civilization and thus, you know, pursuing a degree in finance. Now, there is a part of me that really went for finance and so economics because finance was just sexier, right? And uh, it does pay better. And then that certainly is a consideration that, that I don't want to pretend that that doesn't enter my mind and, and should enter all of your minds. Now, again, originally, I thought I was going to be a professor and simply spend a lot more time understanding how it all works as an academic. It was by total happenstance and random luck that I, you know, partnered up with, with, with uh, a good friend and started uh, a business called Research Affiliates. And, and it literally went from a garage startup in 2002 to by 2016, about $200 billion in assets under uh, advisory and management. And uh, because of the success of, of, of the commercial business, uh, I, I you know, became only a part-time uh, as a professor and then a part-time as a researcher, you know, from the ivory tower, as people call it. But I, I discovered you learn so much more about the industry by actually being in it. Now, it helps to have the PhD training and to occasionally to be able to sort of step out and look at it from a more sort of dispassionate academic. Um, but you really do need to be in it to get a really good gut sense of why it works the way it does, of the players in that ecosystem, of the incentives in that ecosystem, and of many of the unspoken uh, rules uh, that, that is true of the industry. Thanks for that. I know that's really amazing to hear how, you know, you didn't give up your educational passion, but also like try to combine both your passions together and 
yeah, all that experience is super important. So that's all the questions we have. So thank you so much, Jason, for coming on to our podcast. And with that, we really want to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of season two. And thank you, Jason, again, for joining us today and to check out all our brand new content, including our brand new rapid fire speaker sessions and terms of the week, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify at Futures for Finance and follow our Instagram page at Futures for Finance. As always, be sure to check out our speakers and connect with Jason on our website at futuresforfinance.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. So we'll see you then. Bye, Casey. Bye, Dylan. Bye.